Hi, Alexi. Welcome everyone and thanks for making the time to join us on today's webinar. We have a really special guest today, Alexi Boyd, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Council of Small Business Organisations of Australia, where I'm also a board member. We're going to discuss what's been happening in the small business space in recent times and how this is changing with the new government. Um, we've got approximately half an hour, so I'll kick off. And if you have any questions during the webinar, please put them in the Q&A section that you'll see a button for below. And we'll try to answer as many of these as we can further on in the webinar. So um, welcome to the webinar, um, Alexi. It's great to have you join us today. Hi, Ben, can you hear me? I can, you're coming through loud and clear. Hooray, we got past technical 101. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I might get straight into it. Um, so look, you were appointed CEO at Cosboa nearly a year ago, and what a year it's been. Um, look, you came to the role um, with over 20 years experience working with small and family businesses. You've run your own small business um, bookkeeping practice for many years. You've supported countless small and micro businesses in their journeys. You've hosted your own radio show and podcast dedicated to small business education and advocacy. And look, during that time, you interviewed many of the key small business decision makers and have been a passionate advocate um, even through your local business chamber. So you've got a lot in common with lots of our members. And, um, and now you're on the national stage fighting for small businesses and their issues there. What's it been like taking over the, the reins at Cosboa through such a rapidly changing period? I mean, you've had COVID pains, you've had an election, you've had um, new policies like the um, the Jobs and Skills Summit that affects small business. What's what's it been like? It's been a roller coaster um, <laughs> with the highs and the lows. Yeah, as you can imagine. What's really interesting, I think, is that when you play in that advocacy space, however small or big it is, um, I think what's really interesting is that the issues are the same. So, you know, th those members of yours out there who might see themselves in a position of being a business leader or someone who, you know, looks after businesses in their local area, speaks out for businesses, whether it be at council level or maybe in the media, it's the same issues. So the transition between what I may have been talking about before and, and what we talk about on the national stage to federal politicians, it's the same. The yeah. issues are the same, you know, and I think that um, once you're immersed in that small business world and, and you put your hand up and you say, look, I'm, I'm an advocate, however big or small or whatever that looks like, um, I think that there's a sort of a shared understanding about what it is that you're fighting for. And that's that's where I think that there's a real collegiality between COSBOA as, as a peak body, but also all of its important members. There's that interconnective tissue that we have such an understanding with um, each of the organisations because they're fighting for the same stuff that we are. We're kind of consolidating it. We're kind of saying this is what's best for small business broadly. But each of us are, um, are fighting for ironing out the wrinkles, make, getting rid of red tape, you know, making it easy to, to hire people, making it easier to, to, um, to grow your business, um, trying to create networks, all of those, those issues. It doesn't matter what industry you're talking about or what stage you're playing on, it's still the same. And I think that that was quite an interesting lack of transition, if you will. Um, obviously, going from being a, a Bass agent bookkeeper with a radio show in Hornsby, onto the world of Canberra. That was quite a, a, a change. Um, and catapulted is, is, is some of the words that my friends use. Um, but I think that if you've got that passion and you've got small business running through your veins, I mean, my husband still runs a video production business. I still do his single touch payroll. I yeah. still do his basses. I still navigate his zero. I still have all those frustrations, try and keep a finger on the pulse. I still go to my local Hornsby Chamber of Commerce events. 
um, and talk to the businesses there and find out what's happening there. I still, you know, um, have a go at the local Hornsby Council because they don't have economic development plans in place. So it's it's keeping that grassroots level, which is so important, whilst still speaking really broadly for as many small businesses as we can in front of the advisors in Parliament or in front of the departmental heads who are making decisions around legislation that's going to affect small business. And over and over again, it's an explainer exercise. It's if you do this, this is how it will affect small business. Why don't you try it this way to make it better? Why don't you understand from this point of view, this business owner, how this is going to impact them? It's going to mean more hours where they're working on their payroll. It's going to mean more complexity. It's another agency they have to deal with. It's another website they need to go to. It's more requirements or compliance or legislation that they have to get their head around. Try and remember it's just one person doing all this for themselves. Please stop making it so complicated. So I think that that, that transition in some ways has been very similar, but in other ways, I guess the gravitas of the role um, took me by surprise. Um, but then if you take with it that passion and that desire to help and leave that as your principle and why you're doing this, then it does make it easier. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's one thing that Cosbo has always done really well is it brings that authenticity to the table and people probably see, you know, the Cosbo name out there and, and they think of some of those other really big um, peak bodies. But relatively speaking, it's a fairly small um organization and it really does um in my experience stay really connected to the coalface and and that's that's what's really unique about it and um i was going to ask you too i mean how do you find the media i mean do the media generally fairly receptive to small business issues i know they've had their moments recently um do you find um do you find that they're really interested in what's happening out there for small business they are, but what surprised me is, and, and certainly through COVID, they were really, um, really desperate to get that messaging across because I think that the whole community could acutely understand and feel, and Cosbo had a role in that as well, understand what it meant um, for each of the changes and the requirements that, that, that small businesses need to go through. I think that the media came along with that journey quite well. Um, and that was because of the efforts of, of people like myself and Dan Hunter from Business New South Wales and some great people out there who really understood innately what it was, what people were going through um, and kept on keeping connected. That was really important through that whole journey. Um, but it, again, it, it is a bit of a, I was surprised at how little the media understood about being in a small business, own, business owner. And the fact is they're all employees of big media organisations. They don't know what it's like to run a business. So in a lot of ways, I, um, when reaching out to the media, I'll do my interview and I'll say, blah, 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 have your talking points. Here's some information about the questions you're asking. But I'll always wrap it up with, you know, if you've got any questions or you just want to understand what this or this or this means, give me a call and yeah. I'll explain to you off the record what that actually means. And I'm trying to bring them along with understanding if they're going to be telling our story, then they need to understand quite at a granular level what it is that the, the, the way that these things impact. If we look at, you know, the announcement of the um, the um, public holiday, which I'm sure many of your members were going, yeah. oh, my God, what, what? Yeah. And, and trying to express that while still being sensitive as to why it is we're having a holiday, you expect all of us to give two weeks notice to our employees when there's a roster change. You haven't given us the same 
um, consideration. Um, and then and listening to our members and listening to all those different perspectives and then trying to tie it up neatly in a bow and say from holistically from a small business perspective, some have seen it as a positive, but a lot of our members have said it is going to be hugely problematic. And I think that that's something that COSBOA does very well because we have 50 members from 50 sectors of the small business economy from all different shapes, sizes and ways of working. And I think because we're tapped into that so well, we can give that overall um, consensus approach of here's what it means for small business more broadly. Yeah, and look, I think the holiday situation was a great sort of analogy almost of, of you know, how governments and different organisations get things wrong with small business, just not understanding um, the impacts and, and not really consulting on it first. But hopefully there's some learnings from that. And I think um, your point too, I think COVID has actually really helped a lot more people broadly understand some of the challenges for small business. I mean, it's obviously been incredibly difficult. So yeah. I'll move on to my next question, which was about the Jobs and Skills Summit. So there's been a lot of debate about the new government and, and their summit. Um, COSBOA's now got an MOU with the ACTU and is taking a very proactive um, position. Um, you know, you've signalled very clearly that you're willing to work with everybody and to consider all the options to mm. deliver a better employment system for small businesses. So can you tell us some more about COSBOA's position and why these issues are important for our members? Yeah, look, I think it's important to understand where this came from. So a couple of years ago, there was some omnibus negotiations because was heavily involved in them. And, and because there were so many conflicting interests and conflicting opinions, it, they didn't, they weren't really construct, well, they were constructive at the time and they were so important, but they didn't really um, eventuate in any major changes. And so um, as Cosboa does, we keep talking to people, we keep seeing what is it we can do, what is it we can um, make happen. And I think what there's been, because of those, those conversations, there's been a better understanding of the impact on small business. And I think that what's happened in the past with industrial relations negotiations is that it's sort of happened up here. It's happened for what's best for big business or what's best for business more broadly. And small businesses have been left with the scraps and whatever's left over. We want to flip that. We want to say, if we're talking to people, we put small businesses first. That's the agreement that we don't things do things broadly from the entire system and then think as an afterthought what it's going to mean for small business owners. We want to put them first and say, right, well, let's make look at their problems and analyse their issues first around things like simplicity and complexity and access to, to other things that big businesses have access to. Let's try and resolve those things as, as the priority. And I think that's what the difference is. Um, and certainly what we're not interested in is, is in any sort of unionisation of small business. What we have in, in terms of an agreement with the ACTU is an acknowledgement that it's complicated. Even they are saying our, our members, our employees, um, many of them don't even know what's printed on the payslip anymore because it's, it's mm. so complicated. So how do we get to a system? And there's lots of options. Lots of options have been discussed in the past. Let's bring them back to life and say, are they appropriate for now? What are the mechanisms that are there that small businesses need to support? Where are the um, impediments to stop them from being able to do the same things that big businesses can do? Let's remove those impediments and give them equal access. Why shouldn't a small business owner be able to sit down at the table, you know, at, without employing five lawyers, five HR consultants, all these advisors? They don't have those sort of money, so they miss out. So what yeah. is it we can make the system more fair and equitable? And that's what it's all about. There's nothing being agreed. It's just let's get the conversation started, and I think that that's um, that's a really important uh, important point. Um, there's certain things that we won't budge on, absolutely, that we don't agree on, but that's the point of negotiating with people who are key stakeholders in this. And we are in a situation where um, we have a Labor government in play, 
and um, and so we need to make sure that we're we're working with their key stakeholders as well as the ones that we traditionally work with as well. And that's how we, we work moving forward. It's a different set of circumstances. There's also a whole lot of things coming down the pipeline that we know about from election promises that are going to affect small businesses. So let's get on the front foot. Let's start yeah, talking. Well, I was going to come to that in a minute. So, I mean, just on the, I suppose, on the Jobs and Skills Summit, I mean, from our perspective, I guess the thing that our members would be fearful of is, is that notion of, of unionisation of small business or um, bargaining that they don't necessarily agree to. Those sorts of things um, are concerns. But certainly from our perspective, I mean, if I look at our industry, um, there's almost no bargaining occurring whatsoever. I mean, basically the only bargaining agreements that we're aware of um, that we have anything to do with are ones that were sort of free work choices, ones that have been maintained over a long period of time. Um, and really, you know, arguably um, probably should have, um, should have finished up by now. Um, and then sort of thinking about our own organisation, we tried to do about 100 um, enterprise agreements right on the cusp of um, when the no disadvantage test changed over to the boot test. And that might be all gobbledygook for many of our members listening. Um, but we've got, um, I guess in, in recent years, we've had this better off overall test or the boot test, um, which really meant that if if we wanted to bargain with a group of employees around flexibility of the times that they work or some, some other benefit to them that wasn't necessarily financial, um, we couldn't get a situation where there was a win for the employer and a win for the employee. Basically, it, it was you know, essentially gonna cost the employer more money, no matter what, no matter how much um, flexibility they gave. And so that became for small businesses that you know really can't afford um, to, to um, pay a, a lot over the odds because there's not the margin. It essentially meant that they couldn't access that at all. Um, and I guess from our point of view, we'd love to see um, you know some systems where um, our employers can relatively easily um, access that flexibility, as you rightly say, that big businesses still have access to. Um, because they've got the expertise, um, and um, and you know in our industry there might be you know marketing groups or groups of employers who rather than you know having you know 25 or 50 small businesses all employ a, a lawyer to prepare an agreement might want to do it as one as one group, and so we we see some some benefits in being able to to have that flexibility. So um, hopefully that's something that might come out of the process. Exactly. That's that's exactly the sort of thing that we're hearing from several of our members is is that what is it that's stopping us from being able to do that? And that's what we're examining. And you mentioned the better off overall test. Um, and there's been an acknowledgement by other parties that uh, because it examines potential employees or potential scenarios or potential conditions that don't even exist in the business at the moment, that's why it's impossible to get over. Yeah. And, so yeah. That, and that's being looked at. And that's great. That's part of the discussions. Where are the impediments? Where are the blockages to stop small businesses from being able to access the same sort of um, opportunities that bigger businesses have? Let's look at what these, those are and let's see if there's some mechanics or something that can be put into play, but not unless it's opt in. And yeah. that is something we've been absolutely adamant about. This is not in any way, cannot be mandatory. It cannot be sector wide. So yeah. it can't be a system where, where there's pressure put on other businesses because it's happening sector-wide. We will not stand for that. And in that way, it's about giving the small businesses back the autonomy and the ability to um, have those same tool, the same toolkit that their bigger businesses who they're competing with have. 
So it's and about creating fair and equity in the system. I think the other thing too, you talk about that fairness and equity is, is having a system that's reliable and that they feel like they can trust. Because our experience when we put in those agreements, you know, quite a few years ago now, um, we were getting all the best advice. Um, we believed that they would meet the requirements of the no disadvantage test. And then what happened was they um, basically, they started to apply the boot test and so they all got knocked over. And so yep. all of the work, all the investment and time and, and money in preparing those was all for naught. Um, and we can't have situations like that. We need situations where people can reasonably, reliably expect that if they follow the, you know, the rules that they're going to um, get their agreement up. Yep, exactly that. Exactly. So what does that look like? And that's really what this conversation starter is. What does it look like? How yep. do we make it better? But put small businesses first. Terrific. So with the new government now, uh, you, you sort of touched on briefly what other issues might be coming to the fore for small business and, you know, how they're likely to be impacted. You know, if you look at our sector, for instance, obviously access to skilled staff is a huge challenge right now. Also, a lot of the buyers of um, our businesses are coming through business migration. So do you see some of those things being, um, you know, red hot issues that um, the government's going to be dealing with over the next few months? And, and what else do you see coming down the line? Yeah, and this is where the real advantage for, for I think, the business community was with the Jobs and Skills Summit. It was a, We were able to then hone um, where our policy work and our advocacy work needed to be pinpointed to, and we were able to align with what the, the government is looking at doing for the next six to 12 months. That was hugely beneficial for an organisation like ours. So we have produced some papers which are, are public and people are welcome to look at around migration, vet and skills, IR reform, which we touched on before, and the digital economy and digitisation of small businesses. And that's been going to be our, our key focus for the next few months. Um, and so when we look at um, issues such as, as migration, um, finding that balance between uh, a, a skills sector that is meeting the needs of small businesses mm. and including small businesses and their associations at the strategic planning end, not at the back end, not, oh, here's some workers who have got these skills, why don't you go away and try and match them to the job description that you've got? But no, how about we put you at the table and say, as an association, knowing exactly what your small businesses need in five years' time, Let's talk to you in terms of strategic planning about what the workforce requirements are. We do that for both. If we did that for migration and for vet and skills, thinking about particularly regional areas and what the needs are for the small business community in a regional area from both migration and the skill set. Now, if we put small businesses at the front of that conversation, imagine how much more successful and fit for purpose the migration policy settings and the skill settings will be. And that's what we fight for at COSBOA is say, you know, here we have organisations such as yours who have been around for so long and understand intimately what the needs and the difficulties are for your small business. Let's get them at the front end of that discussion and say, if we're looking at this regional community, what are the needs in five years time? Well, I can guarantee you those business owners and those business leaders know what their needs are. So we need to make sure that that consultation is good. And another thing that we've been talking about a lot in the Jobs and Skills Summit at the beginning, at, at, when we're talking about each of these things is a place-based approach. 
And Ben, you've been around COSBOA long enough to know that this is something that COSBOA has been fighting for for a long time, whether it be employment services matching the needs of small business, whether it be migration, whether it be digital skills and digitisation, whatever that looks like, how do you match those two things together to make sure that um, what the needs are for a regional community are connected with what's happening in that small business community itself? Find those leaders and put them at the front of the conversation. And that's difficult, we know, because it's a bit like wrangling cats when you're trying to meet the needs of so many different types of businesses and types of communities and types of regions. Um, yes, it's hard, um, but just try harder do a better job of consulting in those different ways. And I think that's what runs runs through all of, of the processes that COSBOL is trying to push forward. And luckily with this government, which is really pleasing, we do have a lot of open doors. We have the opportunity to have that voice heard. Um, we have the opportunity to make recommendations and then really push to make sure that they form part of legislation as it comes down the pipeline. Yeah, yeah, they certainly appear to be listening at the moment, which is really, really good. So and, far, so good. <laughs> so good. And look, um, you've touched on, uh, you know, some of the issues that COSBO um, deals with, and there's a huge array of issues. Uh, I know in my time with COSBO, I mean, things like payment skills, employment law, but also things like energy policy, um, mm. you know, really, really critical telecommunications policy, the digital economy, issues like the domestic violence leave um, provisions and those sorts of things. So um, you've talked about some of those priorities over the, the next um, few months. Looking a little bit further, you know, what are some of the other issues that you think are, are going to be critical for, um, for small businesses as we move forward? Well, obviously, the impact of climate change and how that's going to affect small businesses and trying to find that balance between not necessarily being too uh, making sure that small businesses are transitioning and have those change management skills. Going back to what I was saying about digitisation as well, what a lot of small businesses fear, and this has been my own experience as well as a small business owner, is change. And how do I implement that? And how do I not waste time or waste my, my employees' time or put someone on board that's not the right fit for purpose? It's that change management piece that I think is is needs to be looked at and examined. And then we can apply that to things like the impact of climate change, the impact of change to to, um, you know, population levels as, as they as they um, change through the next few decades, the impact of the digital economy, the risks inherent with all of these things, including things like cyber security. So I think that um, making sure that the change management piece is also there to support small businesses as they go through this, that's not always fiscal, that's not always handouts or, or incentives, but actually understanding the changes and how they impact small business before the changes are made, not as an afterthought, is important when legislation is worked out and, and impacts are created for small businesses. How do we do it as painlessly as possible, but bring them on for the journey so that they're actually um, learning and, and managing the change effectively for the better of their business? Yeah, I think those things are really important because, I mean, it's so often, you know, small business owners are so busy and they're also probably feel that they're victims of circumstance sometimes. Mm. They don't have um, the tools or the knowledge or the understanding of what's coming to actually, you know, start to plan in their business. And it's certainly something that we're pushing really hard, that aspect of, of you know, um, managing planning in your business, maintaining a good business plan and actually taking the time. And it can be difficult to find that time to think about, um, you know, what your plans are for the next six or 12 months, the next two to three years. And, and what are some of those things that are likely to impact that? And that's the strength of a really solid, good uh, professional association, an industry association. They can help provide the guidance, the materials, the, the CPD credits, the peer mentoring. 
that we're so innately happens as part of an association, creating a community where people can ask people for help. So you're not diving down a rabbit hole that's going to waste time. You're actually doing something that someone else in your same position suggested worked for them. Simple things like that. And this is why whenever somebody in the media or in government says, what can we do to help small business? Like help the associations. They're yeah, already good. doing this for you. It's a really good point. And it's like when we talk about the employment law things and the jobs and skills summit, I mean, we'd all like a simpler system, but the reality is um, so often it's the associations that usually try to interpret that complexity for small businesses and try and give them the simple solutions. And sure, there's there's scope for that to, to be made easier, made easier for us, made easier for the small businesses, and we hope that's the outcome. Um, but certainly um, small businesses can rely on their association to, to do that for them and to, to make their lives a bit easier. Um, so I might get into the weeds just a little bit more now because I was really intrigued to know what was it like in the room at the Jobs and Skills Summit? You know, how were people interacting? I mean, I saw some of the um, the media and I could see, you know, some very well-known, um, very wealthy Australians having a snooze in the back row. Um, <laughs> you know, how were people interacting? How was big business? How was their sort of response to it? Uh, you know, how were the government participating? Um, you know, I guess many of us probably go, well, was it all just for show or was there actually really some some heated debate that went on in the room? Well, maybe it's because I haven't been in this world for too long that I'm not an overt cynic, but I, I actually found it really positive um, and really uh, good. Firstly, you know, obviously it was the world's best networking event <laughs> for relationship obviously. building, yep. hugely beneficial. Um, I have a great photo of Twiggy and me uh, standing side by side and I call it the biggie and the smallie. Um, and, you know, as he said, every business starts out small. Um, so I think that there was wonderful opportunities there uh, as for us as an organisation to make those connections and build on those relationships um, with other organisations that are similar. Um, there were a lot of union representations in the room. I think there could have been more in terms of small business representation. For example, I think it's really disappointing that the Regional Australia Institute wasn't there, for example. I mean, they're such an important um, yeah. uh, machine for research and, and, and the regional voice. Um, so I do agree in those ways. What was pleasing to see was that the politicians were there for hours. They didn't just drift in and drift out. They were there and they were there permanently. And I think that that was impressive that they were giving their time. Some of the panels were um, really constructive and interesting and, and offered um, suggestions about recommendations for where to go moving forward. Some of them were felt like you were treading water a little bit and didn't really offer suggestions, but that's going to happen with, with a two-day conference. There's always going to be panels that aren't going to be that particularly useful, but others that really move um, the goalposts quite a bit. So I think um, I, I certainly um, appreciated the opportunity. I think because of the work we did in advance of the summit and we pushed hard to get small businesses um, considered. What was pleasing from our perspective as, as the peak for small business was that in the closing remarks, in the recommendations, there was a lot of commentary around small business and that's what we were fighting for. We needed to make sure that we were on that agenda and that we were considered when it came to all of the appropriateness of, of the, otherwise we just get left behind. We just get left as an afterthought. So from my perspective, we achieved that. Um, we achieved lifting the importance of a, an industry associations as part of the process. Okay. That was another thing we wanted to achieve. And then largely um, recognising what the, the key policy areas will be and then falling in to what those, those are, but being able to push that small business agenda in each of those policy areas. So it was pleasing. Um, it was very interesting to be there. Um, 
I would suggest that it was just like any other conference. <laughs> it had good bits and bad bits. It flowed the same way. It had a, you know, somebody who was. Just from here, like, um, what, are, what are your expectations now for it to unfold? So we've got a, a process of a white paper for 12 months. So we're going to keep beating down the door um, based on those papers that we produced and the recommendations that we came out with from discussing all of this, each of these issues with our members, um, what we want to see moving forward. So we, we're going to keep prosecuting those issues, keep on advocating for those recommendations with each of the departments. Um, yep. As you know, we, we deal with every department because more business is touched by every department and we'll keep fighting for that. So we've got about 12 months, which um, for me feels as though the direction that this government is going to be heading. So again, we keep fighting for small businesses to be at the top of that agenda as much as possible and can put those considerations to always remember these are the impacts and the positives and the issues that you've got to cause if um, if small business isn't considered at the point of design rather than as, a, as an afterthought once the legislation's in place. Okay, so we sort of, you, you think um, for actual impacts on the ground for members and their staff, we're probably looking um, out a bit further than 12 months. Oh, I think that there's things, what we've, our understanding is have a look at what the election, um, the election promises were. Yeah. Um, they've, they've made no no um, bones about the fact that this is what their priorities are, their, that their election promises are their priorities, which is really positive when we think about things like least cost routing, which yeah. was promised. So we have got some really good things on the table as a result of the election commitments. That'll be coming first, but the overall process in those sort of key areas will continue down the pathway. But we've got that 12 month period where we keep looking at the white paper and how we can continue to influence it. No, that's great. Now, I know you're on the clock, so I've got one last very brief question. Um, what do you love about news agents and lottery retailers? You know, what do you think makes them unique and why are they so much better than big businesses? Um, so much better. Tell me your experience. Well, look, for me, um, I see there's certain businesses within a small business um, community group, whether that be in a regional area or on your, on your high street in your suburb or even the middle of the city, there's certain sort of cornerstones. And, and for me, that, those news agents are it. Um, you know, I... I always insist that my kids go and buy their stationery from the local news agent, but it's it's almost feels like a little heartbeat as part of that community. It's got it's always got a bit of a vibe around that people are connecting with what's happening in the news because they go to the news agency. Um, it seems to me like uh, people who frequent news agents are, are kind of um, probably of an older, getting older demographic, but then you've got the younger people coming through. And I just think it's one of those places that it's it's a real cornerstone of, of, of the community. And importantly, um, it's people who have been there for a long time. They tend to be, you know, they themselves can be business leaders because they've been in that role for so long and they've they've owned their um, their business for so long. So they have that leadership opportunity as well. So I think that they're a really important part of the community and the backbone of a community, which is always small business in terms of support and providing a, a cornerstone, a flagship, if you will, store that everything else can can kind of um, rotate around. So, yeah, I think they're they're a really important part of small business communities everywhere. Well, on that very lovely and supportive note, I'll thank you again for your time today. It's been terrific to catch up. And I uh, don't think we've got any questions. And I know you've got to go to another meeting. So thank you so much for your time. That's really great. And um, that's I'm a pleasure. To, um, enjoy um, those insights. And Ben, on behalf of Cosboa, thank you for all of your insights, your huge amount of knowledge about your industry, your passion for your industry, um, you know, the amount that you give to Cosboa in terms of that experience. It's it's really valuable. And, and that's that's the strength of Cosboa is it's we are the sum of all of our brains, trusts and all of those experiences out there. Now, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day, guys. You too. Bye.